0: No. Of course, your health is serious. The reason I did this was to make people take the right things seriously and give you tools to see what you know isn't gonna help you. A lot of people stand to profit off you taking the wrong things really seriously. So I'm just trying to cut through those narratives. Welcome back to the show, everybody. So today's really special. I have finally convinced somebody to join me in this particular circus of my life, and I have managed to secure my first guest. Finally, I will not be the only one in your ear, and I will shut up for probably more than five seconds at some point throughout the interview, so you're welcome in advance, and this guest is near and dear to my heart, and he has a million certifications and a degree and all of those great things, but I truly believe that going through that list is an injustice. He has changed so many people's lives as a coach. He has an incredible way of understanding what his athletes really need in and out of the gym. And he opened his first CrossFit gym at 23 years old and is now in his fourth year of business. He has been coaching group classes for way longer than that. He is specializing in one-on-one athlete training both online and in person and has some clients doing some pretty amazing things. He does his work internationally all the way to right in our gym. His incredibly dry sense of humor combined with being in the industry for all of these years come together for this really awesome interview. We recorded this. We lost all of the content. had to recover a corrupted file. He worked some witchcraft. We had to make it then sound okay was all weird. So this, this episode does not come to you lightly. And it is my absolute pleasure to welcome my very first guest, my coach, my business partner, and my partner in life, Robert Meliacho. So let's start with kind of the generic basics. I would love to hear from you. Where did your interest in health and fitness kind of originate? And how did that evolve into opening a CrossFit gym, especially so young, like how did that progression happen and where did you start to take this really seriously in a professional sense? So there's a
1: lot in my whole life. I was under the understanding that my family had bad health because it was like, everyone says it like my family has X problem and just like, yeah, my family, you know, like, Yeah. you think it's genetics or whatever. You think it's something that has to do with that. And so I was like that probably until I was like 12 or 13 And then I went to a doctor because they thought I might have a heart condition. And there's something they're just monitoring. And then when you're asked, like, oh, like, what can you control? And it's basically just like controlling your lifestyle factors, like making sure that you eat as well as possible and you exercise regularly and like you're low stress and all that kind of, that was just at the beginning. Yeah. When I was like, well, I guess that same age. So between 12 and 14, fortunately the internet was actually usable. So then just started Googling stuff and then picking up men's health magazines every once in a while. And then you have 15 other questions in the first (laughs) place.
0: So how did that first realization that, you know, there might be something wrong with your heart, that's obviously scary, especially hearing that young, that's really scary. And you progressed into looking into what you could control out of that. Then when did that become, okay, this is something I really like, and I'm not just doing it for preventative health measures.
1: Uh, It probably took another like four or five years because at first it was, I didn't necessarily, despite looking at those things, I didn't necessarily get into doing it for looks or for performance, which was kind of silly. And I took all the science classes that I could electively, especially when I was able to, but I didn't learn too much about the performance part of it until I actually joined a CrossFit gym, but I was already 18 years old. So I started working out. Before I turned 18, like the summer before that, kind of seriously with a friend who was getting ready to play college lacrosse, or I guess was probably already there for a year and then got really introduced to the weight room there. Cool. So it wasn't really messing around with weights until... I was probably 15 or 16. And then it wasn't serious until I was 17, 18, even from the following year. I didn't take my time with this stuff at all. I, once I figured out this is supervised training, this is kind of a baseline of what this is. You can do mixed modal, you can do strength and conditioning at the same time. Like we use it to support the sports we played in high school. And I was lucky enough to go to a gym that early. Like I feel like I was really lucky to get involved with being coached as a teenager. I know some people don't until they're, much, much older, that was really helpful. And then I was going to school for it anyway. Like I had become really interested through high school, but not in a way like I knew for a fact what I was going to do. And then by the time I took an anatomy course, like anatomy and phys my junior or senior year, and it was like my favorite class I'd ever taken. And the teacher was the strength conditioning coach at my high school. We got relatively close and like talked about that kind of stuff. Just was really interesting to the point where like I was doing my senior year of lacrosse so it's like the last few months of school and I genuinely talked about not playing because I was like I'm not going to play in college if you make that decision I wasn't good enough to play at the level I wanted to play at so I was like oh I might as well move on I didn't, obviously, and I was really kind of happy that I did. And I think that's a huge mistake that people do is like abandon team sports really young. But I enjoyed playing out, even though it didn't necessarily do anything for me athletically.
0: So you begin to take it seriously. You begin to kind of realize that you could get into this as a major and things like that. And then it is your last few months in college. Tell me how this sort of came about that you were going to open a gym basically directly out of school.
1: Came to UMass knowing I was going to study exercise science and public health. And the only reason I didn't do CrossFit right off the bat was because I couldn't afford it and I didn't have a car. So I was just doing strength on one side of the rec center and then the rowing machine was on the other side. (laughs) So I just do strength stuff and sometimes do larger sets just to like feel myself breathe heavy. Because I'd done CrossFit for three or four months. Broken up before that, I would just go to the other side and do rowing.
0: So, like DIY CrossFit.
1: Basically, it was just like (laughs) separate strength and conditioning stuff. And when I was in high school, before I knew what CrossFit was or before I knew anything, I always had this perception probably from the bias of like my heart stuff when I was really young and kind of fearing that exposure. I never wanted to be the really big. A strong person who had no fitness. So I always had that in the background of like, I never want, I never want to sacrifice overall health in pursuit of something. And I never Really got into doing I don't know like commercial gym classic style stuff because I felt like it didn't actually help when I played sports.
0: Okay, so it was more so the crossover that pushed you even farther into the style of training.
1: I always had the bias of like the crossover idea of doing something for twenty or thirty minutes, especially if it's not your whole life, and then just being done. So it just made sense.
0: I think that's the appeal to a lot of people. Yeah, and do you think that that's part of the reason people get so bored with it?
1: I mean, yeah. How could you not, especially if you're not getting better?
0: Absolutely agree. Now you are approached with the idea that the gym that you're currently working in is no longer going to be a place of business. You then what?
1: I mean, I found out two weeks before that you probably have a job anyway, and it just didn't feel like it made a lot of sense.
0: And was this job that you had, quote unquote, it was for them just in a different location?
1: Yeah. So I was still going to be a CrossFit trainer. I was still going to be working like every day. and I... I mean, people knew that I had worked at a gym every day, usually in the morning, go to school, come back and work at night too. So I think people saw that when I was in a position to be like, oh, some older people and some more mature people backing me, like this could just be the gym again.
0: So you are armed with <laughs> essentially like, no, like you did not have time to save for this. This is not something that you had this big grand plan. I'll kind of toot your horn here you pulled together this gym in two months or so.
1: Yeah. I think it took almost three months from concept to like first day and two of those weeks, the other gym was still operating in that location. And the rest of the time, honestly, was just waiting for permission from CrossFit headquarters. So we probably could have opened in five or six weeks and we just like, weren't able to, because insurance was not kicked in and, as you mentioned, I had no money, so I wasn't about <laughs> to risk anything or tick off the people I'm affiliated with, like paying to be affiliated with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's incredible, and I know a lot of people could not do what you did, especially in the time frame you did it in. You weren't this trust fund human that came in and you just had you know daddy's money to throw at this business. You made it happen all by yourself, and I think that is one of the most impressive things I've ever heard. With that, you also had a lot of people that were willing to commit to being members at the gym for a really long time, purely based off the fact that they knew you as a coach. And what sort of compliment is that to you to know that people in order to make this gym happen, they want to invest in you, really?
1: It wasn't like you said, I did everything by myself. And it wasn't necessarily that way. Like, I of course had your help and then all of the all of the monetary support came from prospective clients and people that were like this location is convenient to me I worked with you before like let's try to keep this thing going and so there was really a core group of people who made that happen and a few dozen other people like immediately signed on they again I worked with everybody before it wasn't something I was just doing as a school job. like it was something I was I was always gonna continue this anyway. and there was a market there. It just wasn't set up for the old company to continue to succeed like the way it was set up. and I think their move totally made sense for them at the time in the same way it totally made sense for me to just be like, okay, well, there's already something here. Why not keep it going?
0: Yeah. And you sort of made the changes that you needed to make. And now, I mean, you're in your fourth year of business. So clearly you knew what to do. And thank you for sharing all of that, because I think a lot of people don't, even our own gym members don't know the full story and how quickly you had to pull it together and how much you really did. And I think it's crazy impressive. So what seems to be an incredible specialty for you is taking people to that next level. It seems like no matter the level you're working with, you find aspects of their lives and training to prioritize as well as getting rid of the things that aren't as important or aren't going to benefit them to worry about. And I would love to get an idea of where people can begin to do that for themselves. How do you figure out where your biggest fish to fry is and how do you get people to stop worrying about the auxiliary things that may not be actually pushing them closer to their goal?
1: Yeah. Everyone has lowest hanging fruit and there's ways to determine that like someone can come to you with a goal. So part of what you would do is use literally their input, even if you know they're wrong, because that you need some level of compliance, of course. And then the rest of the time, it's really just comparing it to gold standards or comparing it to the peers and the group that they want to be in. So, I mean, it could be anything. If it's somebody who wants to do their first pull-up, you're comparing them to people who have some pull-ups, right? So like a person who doesn't have any pull-ups wants to do their first. Well, realistically, the thing that they aren't doing is training pull-ups with any consistency. Like they're doing it in the, oh, this is a fun novel workout every day type way or they're doing it and I've only been exposed to group class and I come on certain days or the gym I used to go to doesn't follow any progressions like there's plenty of reasons why someone could do it a lot of it's just lack of exposure at the lower levels and then at the higher levels it's lack of logical progression like if someone's never done a pull-up typically they just need to practice and need to help them do things like pull-ups especially if they are used to doing mixed modal And then if someone, like you're saying, the people who want to make it to semi-pro amateur type stuff, a lot of the time it's how much low-hanging fruit can you work on and still maintain other fitness levels and setting up a multi-year plan and being up front with them right off the bat
0: do you find that it is really any different as far as people wanting to work on their low hanging fruit
1: yeah there's part of what you have to do is explain to people what that it's going to take because if they don't know and then you try to like blindly lead them down this path that could be literally multiple years at some point if someone doesn't know that that's what they're up to they're gonna back up
0: mm-hmm.
1: if somebody wants to even make it to a quarter final event across it so they're like top 10 percent in the world but they train two or three times a week for an hour so like let's narrow it way down they probably train two or three hours a week unless you're talking about like the most efficient two or three hours with a person whose lifestyle outside of the gym is at least above average it's gonna be very very difficult for them to achieve that top 10% status if they haven't already had some really large base, like if they're not in some sort of maintenance mode or like declining from an even higher level of fitness, like you just have to do the minimum.
0: Okay. So let's take this kind of more broad spectrum, right? So I know we sort of agree that the complexity of health and fitness becomes a massive barrier to entry for a lot of people. My question to you is how can anybody objectively make progress towards any given physical goal, regardless of what it is?
1: You have to have a process, of course. And I think that eliminates a certain percentage of people. So if you don't have a roadmap, some people just think showing up to the gym is going to automatically get them what they want. And it's not necessarily their fault, but a lot of people are in that belief. like They're like, oh, if I just increase my frequency or if I keep showing up, that something magical will happen. And for the most part, like if you show up and put in some level of effort, like you'll be generally healthy. But if you have specific goals... It's going to get really weird, really fast. Like, I mean, people can do CrossFit for a decade and never do a pull-up or people can do CrossFit for a decade and never do Murph RX. And then others will, even with like basically no training background, do it in two or three years. And then they get confused. It's hard because you don't want to feel frustrated. And I think a lot of the mistakes in the past, especially... In certain communities was like, if you just do random workouts all the time, you're just going to have random results, especially if you aren't perfect outside of the gym, which is a lot to ask. So having a process is kind of everything it is relative to the goals that you have, but you have to have a baseline and you have to know where you're at relative to where you're going. Typically people just reverse engineer it.
0: Having a process is huge. If I am brand new and I have this physical goal, regardless of what it is, just like you said. Yeah. And I want to make my process. I want to map that out. What is your best recommendation? Do you think that everybody needs one-on-one attention? Do you think people can do it themselves with all the resources out there? Or is it too cluttered with just other random shit?
1: There's a lot. There's a lot of information that can be, I mean, we're now in an era where there's too much information instead of it's hard to get it. Of course, you want to say, like, get a coach, find somebody who's done this, like, see who they've helped, what they've helped those people do. Like, if you want to go to the CrossFit games, you probably don't want to work with people who have never been or helped other people go, right? If you want to do your first pull up, you probably want to work with somebody who's helped lots of people do their first pull up. Like, it's not that there's secrets, but there are definitely mistakes that people make. And there are biases that people have that make a big difference, too. Like, if someone's biased, like, I know we talk all the time. There are nutrition companies that are biased towards bodybuilding. And then they do really, really well with people who train in that style or similarly in general. And then that massive success gives them a platform. And then people who do nothing like bodybuilding, CrossFit, or like triathlon training, try a bodybuilding diet. And then you have to fix them because their website's not going to say this doesn't work for these people. It's just going to show you what it does work for right because of all the information i think it feels more confusing than it actually is like you need to work on the thing that you're bad at and you need to have like a high intensity day and then you need to also accumulate volume and if i had to say that about anything that's basically how i break it down you need a period of time where you're increasing the amount that you can do and you need a period of time where you increase the intensity of the thing that you're doing because nobody wants to like peter out in either direction and that's how you would simplify it.
0: Yeah. Could you give an example of that? Just um, like, so say I will use CrossFit as an example because it's the classic one. So what would intensity look like in programming for CrossFit and what would volume look like specifically? Like what are examples of that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you could, again, sticking with the theme of the pull-up because like kind of a big check mark for people. You could have a day where you do like three to 10 pull-ups as hard as possible. And that could be anything for people. Like it could be assisted. It could be added weight. It could be whatever, strict with a false script, blah, 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 all sorts of stuff. Like three to 10 really hard pull-ups. And then if you're progressing, you could have an entire block of training that's based on making that heavier or less assistance, whatever applies. And then you could have another day of the week where you just accumulate volume, just spread them out enough. So you might do like up to 90 pull-ups with tons of help and no real-time issue. And what people tend to do, I think, is one or the other. Or people just avoid the one they're bad at or they avoid the movement entirely. I think in CrossFit specifically, it helps to do them all the time rather than have like eight weeks where you get really strong. But then you have to come back and be like, well, my 100 max pull-up went up or I can now do a weighted pull-up for the first time ever, but I'm used to doing one pull-up every 90 seconds instead of now you're going to be asked in a cross workout to do 30 in 30 seconds and you're completely deconditioned to that. So it totally depends on what you're training for.
0: Yeah. So something you kind of touched on, When we see people trying to reach their physical goals, I personally see consistency as one of the biggest issues, right? You can make a perfect plan. And if you don't consistently work at that plan, it's not going to get you very far. That being said, you have a phenomenal attendance rate. You have retained people that have been doing CrossFit for more than a decade. What would you tell people that tend to fall off their plan, struggle with consistency, things like that? And maybe with that, what do you tend to see in those people that are super consistent and have been for a long period of time?
1: The first part I would say, I don't, it's not my original thought. It's also don't reach for the stars. Like, don't do that. Don't tell yourself, like, I want to snatch 400 pounds and set a world record. Like, sure, maybe, but like any person who's done anything that's actually hard will tell you. Is that the, like the step you're currently taking and the next step are all that matters. So like the shorter your feedback back loop, the better. If you're like, I have a training session today, what can I do to prepare myself for today's training session? And when you're in it, like focus on the rep that you're doing, not the rest of the workout. So I think the biggest thing for consistency is actually caring about what's happening right now while also having that long-term plan. And then instead of reaching for the stars, just make your goals slightly better than where you're currently at. Whatever you want to snatch a bajillion pounds, it doesn't matter if you don't snatch one more pound on average, or if your 80% doesn't go up by one pound or one kilo consistently, you're obviously never going to get to a new number. So just shortening your feedback loops.
0: And in those people that are super consistent, is that what you tend to see is just the goal setting or can they kind of even do that subconsciously and just they don't set themselves up for disappointment without even knowing it
1: i think it is simpler than that the people i've seen make the most progress and have the highest compliance rates are really good at auto-regulating they don't try to win every workout
0: and auto-regulating in in and out of the gym i assume
1: yeah, but I mean, my exposure to them is mostly in the gym. So if a person, I mean, some of the best crossfitters we've ever seen, like they still show up on a day they don't want to be there. Right. Like you know you don't want to be there, you go anyway, you do a real warm-up instead of being like, Oh, I don't want to be here, I'll just like start, right? So you still go through your normal process, you do your warm-up, you do what you can for that day, you allow yourself to have a bad day, and then you just move on. There's some level of stoicism. There's some level of the consistency matters over anything else. Like do the work, even if it's not your best day ever. And oftentimes that's all that matters. Like a lot of us don't live lives where like we're doing two or three sessions a day and a string of bad sessions actually matters. Like most people are working out two to four times a week. So if you suddenly omit 25% or 50% of your effort, like it's not going to get better.
0: Yeah. I mean, you are a great example. You've been doing this for quite a long time now with not even just coaching, but obviously you were a CrossFit athlete before you decided to coach CrossFit. If you could kind of look back and tell the person that started CrossFit, that Rob, that 18-year-old Rob, what would you tell them as far as longevity goes, as far as success goes, what would be your advice to the younger version of yourself starting in fitness?
1: How many words do I get to use?
0: as many as you want I'll just edit you out if you go on for too long
1: I'm not even saying now if I like in this theoretical time machine message in a bottle oh because that obviously matters but I mean the big thing is consistency and it's better to work at 80% every day than anything else
0: and were you a person Um, that tried to work at 100% every day is that why you say that
1: I think but I also I mean I was consistent mostly in effort I also think I started CrossFit at a time where people just thought crossfit was pure magic and weren't willing to accept all the research and all the information you had so i would say i was starting crossfit in a time when we didn't borrow from powerlifting or didn't borrow from running or rowing like we just thought crossfit was magic and like people just thought oh you're having a bad day it's because you didn't eat paleo the other day like it was like complete nonsense essentially and i mean there are are, are, of course good tenants built in there somewhere but You get what I'm saying? Like it was not the way it should have been. And I didn't come into this super strong or super in shape. I was not somebody who had done these things before. And like my family wasn't in a culture where everyone was super active. So I would tell myself to build the base for way longer. Cause I only took me a year or two to go from taking class with basically no fitness before that to trying to follow a games level Mm -hmm. CrossFit track with a group of other people who also basically had no business doing that.
0: I love that. That's awesome. And so now you're on the other side of it, right? You're on the other side of fitness. You've been in it for over a decade now as well. You've been a client, you've been, you know, a coach, you've been a business owner. What would you say is the weakness that you still want to develop?
1: As an athlete, I'm working on building my base strength and conditioning. I spent most of the time enjoying CrossFit. and. The skills across it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, of course, And as someone who hadn't really exercised outside of literally just playing ball sports, like all that stuff was new. So basically like five or six of the years, we're just practicing that. And then professionally, now I'm in a place where I want to help people succeed in the same thing that I have, because I've seen most of the people exit on bad terms. And I know that that's normal for this field, but it's not, it doesn't have to be that way. Like as somebody who, I mean, I opened a gym under essentially the worst monetary setup you could possibly imagine. Like I had no money, no business doing that. And I was able to do it with the support of other people who had much more established individuals, just funded the whole thing. And it was not nearly enough money. Like-
0: yeah. But make that clear. So these people funded it for you, but in the sense that you came up with the idea to sell Lifetime memberships for five thousand right. dollars, and these people gave you five thousand dollars and were taking the chance that you wouldn't be open long enough to get their money back, right? But obviously, at this point, you have now surpassed their monetary investment in terms of membership value for sure, they which got, is incredible. They
1: got a really good deal out of it now, but they, I mean, they get that for being part of the risk that they took. And what I'm saying is i came into it having a good idea and honestly it's all relative like it was an okay enough idea to keep things open at first i just didn't have enough money to keep things floating and it got really close a few times so now that we don't spend every month thinking oh like is this the last month or like here's the slow season for our area like how hard is this going to be like what can we do to make money like That's not on the surface of the brain every single day or every single minute, which was a thing for a while. Now it's how do I get people who, at least for me right now, it's in my own organization to also succeed. So it's like, how do I get our new coach to feel comfortable? How do we get that person to feel like they can do this for forever rather than like the year and a half average that people like to have careers in fitness?
0: Why do you think the average person in fitness lasts so little time and not only lasts a little time but tends to leave on that kind of bitter note.
1: There's a lot of money in fitness, but most of it goes to the people who are already really established. And part of it is probably an ego problem. Like someone comes into this thinking, like, oh, i like maybe they're a really good athlete, and they're like, I'm a really good athlete, I should get paid to tell other people how I became such a good athlete, and like no one no one fucking cares. Like <laughs> also relative like if you're that good of an athlete you'd still be an athlete and no one wants to say that to them right and then maybe it's just like they're not actually helping people yet because if you're actually helping people you get referrals or you get people that stick with you for years on end and that's a tremendous value so it just comes with experience and people have to learn to trust you before they care about what you say like if you're brand new in fitness and you have an ego or even if you don't like you're brand new like People are going to go to the coach that's been around for 10 years. They're going to go to the coach for 30 years. If you're going to go to the coach that 10 of their friends said to go to, there could be a brand new gym. And unless it's twice the size and everything is top of the line, why, what's the motivation to go there? Like there has to be something like, or maybe it's like basically free and it's still has to be nicer than the one that's already established. Mm -hmm. or at least close because you're not going to want to go to a place just because it's cheap. Like there are gyms within a rocks throw distance of planet fitness. And that's their whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like you only get a certain number of people to do that.
0: Yeah. That was a really interesting thing that I navigated when I began working with you. I didn't have nearly enough coaching experience for the role that I was put into. And I think not only did that make me really self-conscious, but it was a very hard learning curve of, okay, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm now graduated and I'm probably not going to make any real money or have anything I can put in savings every month until these people begin to trust me. And that was something that I definitely learned the hard way. But I feel you guided me through very well in the sense that not only did I have realistic expectations of the money that I could make, I also was hopeful that it would happen. And I think that is really, really incredible to be able to instill that in a coach that's obviously I was much less experienced than you. I was very, very discouraged. And for someone like you, who is very, very trusted to tell me, oh, you know, you're really good at this. You should run with that. You should work with this person for free. And they'll refer, like, it was amazing to have, someone tell me that it was going to get better. And I think if you had not told me how to do it, I would have maybe left on that note. So do you think it's just that people get discouraged and no longer see the point after a fair amount of time?
1: Kind of. I mean, you get paid what you're worth in fitness. And I think that that's true more often than not. So whether you have the skills, you still be able to present them to people. So like if you are good at something but you never tell anybody and then your clients don't tell anybody how is anyone gonna know that you're any good like you have to be good you also have to be good consistently like you can't just be good when you feel good and if this is something that you care about like when you're a coach you're coaching people all the time like it doesn't ever stop like You can't just care about people Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then work too many hours and get tired and then not really coach on Thursday, Friday, like you sit down or like you go sit in the other room or something. Like it's not a thing. Like you have to be the leader and that's a hard thing. Also the shift, which is so amazing to see it happening in CrossFit gyms and functional fitness gyms everywhere. Like I tried to tell you about this before, but like treating people like clients instead of athletes. And that's such a good thing for people who pay to be a member of a gym.
0: I would love to hear you define that.
1: Yeah. So CrossFit used to be, and like, they'd send you an email, I mean, not headquarters, but like gyms I belong to, I belonged to three gyms before I owned a gym, three CrossFit gyms. And they would email you and be like, Hey, athletes are like, good afternoon athletes. And like the word was athletes. And Like people were like, yeah, these are my athletes. And like a lot of athletes don't drop the kids off before they work out. Like it's not <laughs> a thing, you know, or like a lot of athletes don't like accidentally have 14 beers like it's like athletes don't do that clients do and that's that's the negative side like to be like yeah like you're not a pro athlete but if that's the worst negative that's fine like addressing people and helping them with where they actually are instead of assuming everyone is going to rise to this crazy level like instead of assuming every person's going to sleep at least six hours every single night like we're talking like bare minimum Really good six hours in your cold, dark room, blah, blah, blah. They took 14 supplements before their whoop says that they're like a good green superhero, whatever. <laughs> right. Imagine meeting them where they are and actually helping them with what they want, right? Instead of assuming everyone's going to do it all
0: and assuming also what athletes do, right? And I think that takes away the assumption that that's even what they want. Why are right. we assuming people are coming to Be a gym? Power
1: snatches? <laughs> no, like Matt Frazier didn't want to spend money. So he rolled around on a lacrosse ball for seven hours on Thursdays for years on end because it was like the cheapest way to get massaged. I don't know any other human being who's ever done that. (laughs) Like I knew one other person who like stretched for multiple hours on a recovery day one time. And like that person also has a career in fitness. Like they're not just like a regular client. It's when someone comes to you, how crazy, like even us, like even what we do, we didn't really ask people what they wanted until like two or three years ago. Right. But like the first year we were open, like our priority was obviously staying open, but it's, like, it doesn't mean you should. Or, like, they're like, they're a client. It's just to help them. Like, when do you go anywhere for a service? And they don't ask you what you want.
0: Yeah. It's an insane standard. That's kind of been established.
1: imagine going to a coffee shop and they just give you a random coffee. They're like, this is our most popular coffee. And you're like, I fucking hate this coffee. (laughs) Right? And you pay the same price as everybody. Yeah. It's not a thing. Or if you went to the car mechanic and they just like threw four different tires on your car and like, that's what we had.
0: Yeah, no, it doesn't mean like any you fucking pay the sense. Everyone else. Like- <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's something that sets you apart as well and sets our gym apart and it's definitely been a narrative especially as of lately in the gym where we've kind of conveyed that message that not everyone has to, you know, pray to God they land on top of the rings like twice a week even though they have no interest in competing in CrossFit. Yeah. it's
1: I and mean, you could also talk about what does it take the average person to figure out how to do a muscle up like an average person probably more than 30 hours of dedicated time of actual training for that movement minimum like there are people who it takes like months and years
0: for that movement for alone for that
1: movement i mean yeah you get better at other stuff on the way let's not to say like it's just magic but like you can't go do a muscle up at the 4th of July barbecue probably what you could probably do is had spend that time meal prepping and look better than you ever looked. Like that's 30 weeks of meal prep.
0: Something else that we've talked about before is that people sort of tend to think that performance goals are trendy and performance goals are somewhat now more acceptable than just saying you want to look a certain way. And why do you think that that standard came about do you think it was just a rebound from the other direction yeah
1: 100 percent. did you live through the (laughs) (laughs) 2000s hair gel and having your jeans be like a centimeter above your genitalia was the norm like we're just now in a place where it's like oh i'm not disgusting like i don't like wear mesh t-shirts. Like, (laughs) like I'm a normal person who just wants to be strong. Like it's such a rebuttal to the way things were in a past like time of fitness. And I think honestly, we're coming out of it in this new decade where people are like, no, it's okay to want to look a certain way, but also not feel terrible. Cause what tends to happen when you try to do things that pro athletes do, but only the hard parts is that everything hurts.
0: Right. That's also the common narrative of people being like, well, you can't care about performance and aesthetics. And it's like, well, most people can because most people are never going to reach the far sides of that spectrum anyway. So I totally, totally agree with you.
1: Yeah, you don't see a lot of people who perform at a high level that look terrible. Like you can just say it that way, but you also don't see all of the work that goes into that. They're spending almost their entire day with that as their priority.
0: And what does that look like?
1: As a coach to who's worked with these athlete. people.
0: Yeah. What does it look like to wake up in the morning and
1: be an athlete? I mean, it's the same as any other sport at this point. Like there's enough who are pro athletes in CrossFit and there are people who are pro athletes that are hockey players as the example. Like you wake up having tried your best to get a good night of sleep, like an actual genuine good night of sleep. You eat a breakfast that has more than likely always worked for you and or was recommended by a nutrition professional. You probably train, then you eat something that makes sense. Then some of those people have part-time gigs that are like probably two to four hours a day. And then they probably train again and then they eat and then they do recovery stuff.
0: And And what does recovery look like?
1: Depends on the person, but like the gist of it doesn't even matter what the details are. That person spends the majority of their day being an athlete.
0: And what percentage of those people spend any part of their day doing normal people shit like picking up their kids and all of that? Are there exceptions to the rule and if so how often do you see it?
1: If people do that, I don't think that it's very common. I also think that there's only so much physical stuff you can do so you have to start doing stuff that is restorative so like picking your kids up from school and hanging with them for an hour doesn't make that person feel good like that counts as like good for them but now we're just getting into the weeds of like the details the point is most people that are professionals spend at least two or three hours we're talking at the very minimum every single day making sure that the physical part of their body and whatever, like they're everything, I guess, it's not just physical is prepared to do the thing better more often.
0: I think that's a great way to put it. I love that. Two or
1: three hours a day is more than most people work out like in a week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So the final question I want to ask you is something that I hope to ask all of my guests, even though right now those future guests are make-believe. We all know that fitness is overloaded with bullshit, magic pill claims, all of that. We've gone through that left and right. And there's this idea that there's some quote unquote secret to success in fitness for you and your definition of success. And not so generally, this is more of a personal question. What is your magic pill?
1: I would assume that I'm good at fitness. What? But doesn't that assume that I have something that I respect about myself in fitness?
0: Like no, What? <laughs> this is just absolutely not where this question was supposed to go. You have you <laughs> are such a pain in my ass. It's absurd. <laughs> okay, so you are what? What was your first back squat PR? Two hundred pounds. Two hundred pounds. Amazing. Is that still your back squat PR? no okay so wonderful at this point we've made some progress what do you think was a defining factor something you found made a massive difference that maybe you didn't expect something to that effect
1: and if you gain 80 pounds you'll probably back squat more
0: that's your magic pill
1: for back squats and deadlifts
0: you're going to make my head spin around the a circle for
1: sure But an actual magic pill is to like, is to focus on something for more than four or six weeks at a time.
0: So consistency again,
1: kind of, but also it has to be more specific, just barely.
0: Yeah. What is that specificity for you?
1: It's I mean, the word that people use is periodization. It's not exactly how I feel about it, but it's just working on the thing that you're the worst at.
0: And for you, what is the bane of your existence? What is the thing you're worst at in fitness?
1: I don't know. Tough question.
0: It's okay. I'll tell you. It's handstand push ups, right? And I see you upside down with you and your giant wingspan. You take up so much of the friggin' wall and you're upside down all the fucking time just doing them and drilling them and emom this and this variation. And I see you constantly walking the walk. I think if I were to answer this for you, since you've driven me crazy with your attempts (laughs) at answers vertical
1: pressing,
0: vertical pressing. But not only that, I think. You walking the walk has been your magic pill to the person you've become in the fitness industry.
1: Yeah. I think that's massively important though. If you have, you don't have to do exactly what your people want to do. Like I don't want to compete at a high level in CrossFit, but I still know what it feels like. So I know when a person does a gnarly wall ball workout, I have an idea of what that feels like, or like a pretty good idea of what that feels like. I know what movement, like if you have a movement that's really frustrating, I know how that feels. So, I mean, being a practitioner of what you do also earns respect from the people that you do it with. I think that makes a huge difference. And if you start with really terrible coaches, you become a good coach because you just make mistakes for years on end. If you don't quit, you have to learn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's amazing. I think that's a wonderful place to leave it. So go ahead and plug, um, what is the gym's Instagram?
1: neurotic crossfit
0: and i want to crossfit and your personal instagram no thank you okay fair (laughs) enough i'll put it all in the show notes thank you so much for doing this with me